Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are live Friday, July 2nd. Woo-woo! Fourth of July weekend coming up. Oh, so How so excited are you? Look at you. Oh, dude. Oh, I'm Plus America. Go. Oh, dude, I got the whole get up for... Oh, boy. Look I got this. the America hat. I got the shirt. I got the... Flags on the side, blue glasses, baby, all day. Check it out. Well, there, yeah. Um, you're not lying. I mean, when you first walked in, Dre says, "Well, at least you didn't wear your America thong." And you're how like, do "How you do you know? How do you know he's not wearing it?" <laughs> That's what you, you run in the streets, in tanning house? leader. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so American so you you're excited about Fourth uh, of July weekend. Um, I'm excited about all the stuff that we got to cover today. We have uh, some really big foreclosure news coming in. Uh, a YouTuber a YouTuber is running for governor of California. Um, that shouldn't be a big surprise. Uh, it's like California is pretty much like a joke at this point. So it's like, yeah, let's have everybody <laughs> run. Go ahead. Um, like got like 100 plus people running for governor over there. It's just like, good Lord. It's beyond insane. So, And we have a lot of things coming, uh, changes being done in the mortgage industry, uh, some big news for the rental market. So for all you landlords out there, so uh, crazy news coming in for that. Um, we have a lot of fun stuff today. A lot of fun stuff. But uh, how do you feel about 4th of July? I, I don't know if uh, you like it or not. Well, uh, I, I got I a Patreon too. Oh, look at that. There we go. Oh, Patriots. I guess, I guess it, we'll go with yeah, that. What's it's more like, patriotic than the Patriots? It's, I mean. We'll just let it as a Patriot on the hat. Not as a New England football Patriot. You just have a Patriot hat on the Patriots. Whatever you hat. need to justify, but it's patriotic. Yeah. So, yeah. Tom Brady going to Florida doesn't mean shit. Patriots are still patriotic. Oh, are they? They are the so, and blue, so you you had in bit. here some uh some fun facts yeah. about uh Fourth of July. What, what's that? I figured I'd throw some just fun fat Fourth of July facts out for everybody. So we didn't actually declare independence on the Fourth of July. The official vote actually took place two days before the declaration was published in papers on July Fourth. So technically, today is the true Independence Day. But the papers weren't published back in those days. Nowadays, if they would have done it on the second, everybody would have known about it. But they didn't publish the papers until July 4th when everybody knew about it. But they made the declaration on the second. America will enjoy 150 million hot dogs during the 4th of July, enough to stretch from D.C. to L.A. more than five times. A lot of hot dogs. Especially hot dogs are trash meat of leftover packing plants. Oh, how American is that? Uh, an estimated two and a half million people lived in the nation on July of 1776. As of April 26, 2021, 331,549,281 live. So, a little, just a few more people. They, they, they were getting busy during these last 300 plus years? <laughs> yeah, 252 <laughs> years. Uh, the very first 4th of July fireworks show took place in Philadelphia in 1777. It didn't, 4th of July did not become a federal holiday until 1870, almost 100 years later, before it was actually a federal holiday. Only two men signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th of 1776. 
Charles Thomas and the infamous John Hancock were the only two men who actually signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776. The other 54 delegates signed over the course of the next month. There is something written on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Not a hidden treasure map, people would think. I don't know. I believe the documentary <laughs> National Treasure. So... <laughs> Uh, it's not a treasure map written in invisible ink according to the according to National Geographic written upside down across the bottom of the signed document that reads original Declaration of Independence dated 4th of July 1776 and they actually can't determine when that was actually done uh, there's no documentation on it but it's very common when uh, back in those days they rolled up parchment and stuck them in tubes for transportation at some point somebody wrote on the back of it but they have no idea who actually wrote that on the back of the Declaration of Independence hmm Interesting. So if you actually want to verify that, you can uh, pull uh, Nicholas Cage and go steal a Declaration of Independence. He kind of gave you the book on how to do it. We're not encouraging you to steal the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. You can go try, though. I think it'd be, <laughs> I'll watch the YouTube video of it. And the last thing, which kind of blew my mind, wearing old glory violates the U.S. flag code. So anything that is patriotic like this, a hat, a towel, uh T-shirt, beach towel, shorts, headbands, or any other item that represents the U.S. flag. Turns out you're in violation of the U.S. flag code. When is that code created? When they created the flag and stuff like that. I don't know when oh, it was created. But like, yeah, but that's why I think everyone's just kind of like, back then when they created it, it's like, hey, you can't take the flag and cut a flag up and then wear it as a shirt. Cause you think back oh, to the 1700s, well, yeah, yeah. but nowadays it's like, they didn't anticipate you could mass produce like this kind of yeah. stuff at the scale. I think it's one of those laws. They're like, yeah, nobody's going to enforce And it's not a law. It's just the code of the flag. So you're yeah. in violation of the flag uh, flag code by wearing anything patriotic, owning any kind of flag, American flag. Well, I, I'm sure kind. the, it's the like, really? founding fathers probably hoped that uh, we would update a lot of the shit they came yeah, up with. This is like know? his code. We're like, like, yeah, okay. After a couple hundred years, I think some things should perhaps be updated. Um but okay. They got bigger problems to worry about in so, Washington than uh, people being patriotic for 4th of July. For sure. So is that your, your fun facts for 4th of July? That is my fun facts for 4th of July. We will catch you guys next year. See ya. <laughs> what do you got going on this weekend? Any interesting plans? Anything? Oh, fun? I am going to hang out by a pool. I'm going to sit in the sun. I'm going to drink a few adult beverages. I'm probably going to light a firework or two off, you know. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, well, another another thing I saw I didn't put on there, but uh, Americans will spend over a billion dollars in fireworks Fourth of July weekend. Wow! Even though it's illegal in so many states, people people find yeah. ways. You can buy fireworks off the internet and get them delivered to your house. I, I found the hilarious last year when they were like, you know, especially more in California, they're like, no fireworks anywhere. There's going to be yeah, uh, uh, San Diego is like boom, and there's all like of California. The sky was lit up with fireworks. They're like, there you go. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, people were like fire bands on. They're like, yeah, uh, no, screw you. It was just kind of like this year during um, New Year's Eve, like how San Antonio's skyline just went absolutely insane. Yeah. When they're like, okay, we're going to cancel the fireworks. We don't want people congregating together, and so like everyone took it upon themselves, and they're like small gatherings and it just the skyline just was absolutely nuts well even for me uh, where, where i lived i didn't even have to leave my house it was uh it was pretty much everywhere around my house on a 360 perimeter fireworks everywhere yeah. it didn't matter where you went around my house there was fireworks everywhere and oh. for, it lasted for a good hour oh it was nuts like was i'm insane. sitting in my house and i was like i'm just like hearing this sound it's like is that 
thunder we're like what is that it was like shaking like the uh, our apartment I'm like oh my god yeah. and stepped outside I was like dude that's fireworks that's insane like you i always should, thought you should get your foundation checked uh, <laughs> um i always thought it'd be fun to do is like fly over a major city like mm. during like one of these like yeah. holidays especially like new year's eve like how cool that it looked about you're just flying like over like this city and just watching this whole skyline just blow up with like fire oh we, we got to tell buddy andrew to come pick us up uh and take us for a little airplane ride during fourth of july that'd be nice Check if he ever out. came and saw us yeah, well, he's Galvin, bougie now, Mr. Alaska, yeah, Wisconsin, you know, Florida. Skiing and whatever. But getting on to some uh, real estate news, hope you guys have some uh, very fun and safe 4th of July weekends. Um, remember, don't drink and drive. If you're going to do that, make sure you drink before you drive. Don't do it while you're driving. You can get pulled over. Um, <laughs> isn't that the rule? Don't drink and drive. It doesn't say don't drink, then drive. Um, <laughs> oh, man, you got a lot of things to learn about American culture. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. But getting into some real estate news, I wanted to start with uh, the FHA is uh, going to allow interest rate reduction. So we have the FHFA will allow borrowers with mortgages backed by government-sponsored entities to reduce their interest rates. So the FHFA hopes the move will allow more borrowers with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mortgages to reduce their payments and stay in their homes. Borrowers with, with permanent COVID-19 hardships are eligible for the loan modifications regardless of their loan-to-value ratio. Oh. Previously, only borrowers with a market-to-market uh, market loan-to-value ratio of at least 80% were eligible for the reduction. The ratio takes into account the remaining mortgage balance and the home's current market value. The agency is allowing the loan modifications in response to the unprecedented nature of the pandemic. The federal housing regular regulator wrote, uh, allowing more families to qualify for an interest rate reduction will prevent unnecessary foreclosures, help strengthen the enterprises books of business and make sustainable home ownership a reality for more families currently living in the uncertainty of forbearance. So you have the FHFA, man, I had it. I nailed it twice. Yeah, you did. The third like, time I did freaking stutter box. Um, so they're doing that. Now there's a, there's a few articles with them that it's just like one piggybacks on the other one. So you have also, the FHFA won't give servicers a break on the CFPB rule. So the Federal Housing Finance Agency is requiring Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac servicers to follow the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's new foreclo uh, foreclosure rule a full month before it goes into effect. The move clarifies how servicers should approach the month-long gap between the foreclosure moratorium expiring at the end of July and the CFPB rule, which takes effect at the end of August. Starting during that period, servicers must now adhere to that rule uh, to the procedural safeguards for foreclosures. In most cases, uh, servicers will not be able to initiate a foreclosure until the end of the year. Oh. So for everybody that was getting excited about foreclosure marketing, this is something, pay attention. Um, 
it continues, today many families' finances are improving, allowing them to exit forbearance. The protection FHFA is putting in place today will protect vulnerable families as they begin their financial recovery from the impact of COVID-19. According to the new rule, servicers can initiate foreclosure action only after the borrower has submitted a loss mitigation application and either application and either isn't eligible for breaks or rejects a loss mitigation agreement. Those extra steps do not apply if the borrower was already six months past due by March 2020. All right. So l let me repeat that again. So it sinks in a little bit. So servicers can initiate a foreclosure action only after the borrower has submitted a loss mitigation application and either isn't eligible for breaks or rejects a loss mitigation agreement. Those extra steps do not apply to anybody that's already been past due for more than six months prior to March of 2020 or if the property is abandoned. But don't submit the loss mitigation application. If they don't submit it, then they can. Uh, that, that's what I'm curious about because they say yeah, they need to submit. They need. They can't start until somebody submits it. So it's like if you don't submit it, does that mean that they just can't foreclose on you? Well, the way I kind of interpret it is like because of that last sentence, those extra steps do not apply if the borrower was already six months past due. But I think there's probably a trigger prior there that, to March you know, 2020. Know, but it's saying like. If uh, when you do reach six months, eventually they're going to be like, okay, that no longer is null and void. And it's like indefinitely be in foreclosure and never pay. Like there's something in there that they didn't put in that article. That's like at some point the servicer can initiate the foreclosure. And these are the things that you guys as listeners need to start actually researching yourself to figure out what the, these little things actually mean expanding on those rules and getting, trying to get more clarification on that. So the rule also establishes expectations for how servicers should communicate with borrowers about loss mitigation options. The new regulation allows escrow shortages to be included in the loss mitigation plan to provide an alternative to paying excessive amounts in a short period. Servicers can afford offer streamlined loan modifications to borrowers as long as the modification does not increase the monthly payments or stretch the mortgage term out beyond 40 years. So servicers can't, uh, can't charge any extra fees for the loan modification. And if a borrower accepts a loan modification, the servicer must waive any late charges. So now going back to how they're saying that you can refi for a lower interest rate, even though you don't have enough equity already built into the property, which was before you needed 80%. So you don't have the equity. Now they need to drop your interest rate so your payment becomes affordable. So they need to extend that mortgage, but it can't go past 40 years. Yeah. I mean, well, there seems said, like a lot of- That's why I've always said, like. I'm not going to bet against the federal government. Everyone's like, yep. oh, they're just waiting for the, Fe oh, they're going to destroy this. They're going to do that. It's like, it shows right here. This is a perfect article of the extent that they are going to, to where everyone, no, no one ever thought that they would do that. Yeah. It's like, 
but they always do. No one ever thought in 2008 the Fed would step in. I just saw something the other day. They were worried about putting this Fed stepping in and backing up uh, markets like they were doing because they felt like it would incentivize people to take more risk. Well, then that, like that's exactly what happened. And then now then the pandemic came out and they stepped in bigger and faster than they did previously. And at unprecedented levels before everyone know it. Oh, I never thought they would do that. It's like, it seems like every time everyone talks about like, Oh, they're going to destroy the dollar. They're going to destroy all this stuff. It's like, and they have no powder left in the case. It's like they come up with new things every single time. Or it's like, okay, they extended out 40 years. What happens now? It's like, okay, we go 50 years. Okay. Yeah. We go, you can be underwater on your houses. They can always keep extending things further and further and further and further and further and further well, down. This is something that you and I have s talked about a lot on and off, uh, on and off the air. Oh, look at that. I always wanted to say that. <laughs> so um, about how every time we hear, especially the economists that we follow, right? So we'll listen to people like Peter Schiff or Jim Rickards or even uh, Robert Kiyosaki and other people that are just, con they've been investing and in the economy for decades. And they always talk about how this can't keep going. This can't keep going. Yet it keeps going, yeah. right? 2008. Yes, it was bad, but it should have been tremendously worse, right? And it wasn't. And then everybody's like, you know, this isn't, you're going to see 2010, it's going to tank. 2012, oh, this is it. They can't keep propping it up. 14, 14 16, 18, 18 20, 20. Now, 2020, everything that you're going to see, this is it. This is what it's going to be. Stock market, all-time high. Uh, property values, all-time high. Wages being increased. Pay people having extra money. I mean, you're looking at all this and you're saying, one thing that you and I always talk about is just, what the hell is going to ever make this when we have never been in this kind of economy before before what, what they do because what these economists talk about and what they interpret is when the u.s used to be backed by gold so it was backed by a physical asset a hard asset and it had limitations it had a lot of things after that backing in 71 went away and they started moving further away they started playing more with the markets and the more the u.s played with the markets and thrived the more other countries stepped in and started doing the same. So when they say, oh, you know, it was China, China's going to take over your this, they're all doing the same exact shit. I mean, Japan's been in a stagnant economy for over 20 years and it's not hurt. Like they're still doing they're fine. Still they're very still very prosperous. Exactly. It's like when they say stagnant economy, it's like, okay, their stock market hasn't gone anywhere. But you look at Japan, like it's, it's not like it just froze in time 20 yeah. or 30 years because of the nineties when they had their big, uh, their big meltdown. <clears throat> yep. But it's like, that's all, it means same thing with like the paper money that's tied to the lumber prices. Like, oh, 1700s now, uh, lumber's, it's fallen over like from 1700 all the way down to 700. Yeah. It's like, it, the, the, and was like, so lumber prices are about to fall by that much. Like, no, that's the paper market attached to these commodities and stuff. Just like Japan's like, they still have built their economy. They've still grown their economies. Like just the dollars to, or their currency to their stock market hasn't grown in value. So you got two different things. You got like, you got that. What is it? The, the stock market is not the economy. The economy is not the stock market. Yeah. Kind of thing to where it's like, yeah, they're, they're, Ideally, loosely, they're loosely tied together, but it's all based just like these tech companies. Yeah. It's like, why are they valued so much higher than your traditional one, even though their margins are nowhere near what like a Walmart or those established businesses are is because yeah. people believe 
and the intrinsic value that what they want it to be it makes it that stock price that they can continue to grow. It's like, but that's also why they have such more wild swings in their valuations is because like one bad news can come out and their value can fall down to the floor. They're not growing as fast as they thought they should be. So it brings them down. So it's kind of the, yeah, Same thing. I mean, it, it, well, then the article continues. Um, if borrowers are still delinquent, uh, so if borrowers are still delinquent, servicers must contact them well ahead of the end of their forbearance period to give them the option to complete a loss mitigation application. Lastly, the rule adds clarity to the definition of financial hardship to mean any hardship that the pandemic brought on, either indirectly or directly literally everything (laughs) from march 2020 to february 2021 the rule will take effect at the end of august the bureau is by no means trying to prevent every foreclosure borrowers who were already more than six months behind before the pandemic started will no longer be spared and the cfpb noted that some foreclosures are unavoidable so two things here right one is in order for you to still get foreclosed on you either have to have been six months behind prior to march 2020 right or two literally ignore everybody and not do the application not do anything completely let the whole shit just burn in order for you to go because they're making it to a point where it's like just submit the application. I was like, just, you don't just have to participate. Just, it, it doesn't just even matter. It's, just respond. It's kind of like what, what we talked about uh, when they did the um, the unemployment and everything. When Biden got elected, that he you know he did the unemployment for anybody. It didn't matter. Like you didn't need to prove that you were looking for work or anything like that. You just filed for unemployment and you got it. Period. Right. So I think this is kind of the same thing. It's like as long as you fill up the application because they need you to do something. Um, you're good. You're taken care of. You're not going to get foreclosed on. They're going to figure it out. They're going to modify the rules. They're going to lower your interest rate. They're going to extend. They can go up to 40 years now. You know, all these things, they're going to look at them. They're going to try to make sure that less and less people get foreclosed on. So that's one. And then two is what we've talked about before. And I interviewed Dan Francis, he's the CEO of Stepstone Realty. That interview will be coming out this week, so make sure you pay attention to that. Uh, we covered a lot of things about this. Uh, Dan is a wealth of knowledge, has been investing for, you know, I don't know, decades now, 20 plus years. Um, but one of the things that we talked about is that you cannot underestimate people's, I don't even want to say laziness, but I, I would say like stress level, overwhelm, or everything to not fill in that application. And and you and I have seen it. Uh, we used to, we've done for uh, short sales before with people that have been foreclosures and short sales are not an easy process for a homeowner to complete because of all the paperwork and everything that needs to get done. So if that, in that moment, we've saw so many people actually go into foreclosure because they wouldn't do the short sale process. I still think that there's probably going to be a, a large amount of people right now that's like, you know, because they say fill out the application. Okay, but what is the application? Is it is it like a simple application or is it like the short sell process that's like, well, <laughs> here's this that, whole that, thing. That's- hey, podcast. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you want to get very exclusive insider tips and strategies that nobody else is getting, then you need to join our text community by texting podcast to 210-794-9898. That's 210-794-9898. Text the word podcast and you will start receiving insider information Things that are happening that we're realizing that we're implementing in real time that other people have no access to. So make sure you text us now. Now back to this show. That's kind of what uh, my point of it is as well. It's like, how many times do we know people, if they're behind, they just ignore everything from their bank. Yeah. And like the stack of papers and stuff like that. And that's where I said, there's going to be some kind of trigger. But what I read from this is... They're extending these foreclosures so far out and for so long that by the time they go to foreclose, none of us are going to buy them. They're going to be so, even with the housing prices like increased as much as they have, because like, and most of these people that are probably going to get foreclosure on were the people that took out FHA loans, were over leveraged the very beginning, didn't have cash to begin with. So it's not like their loan values, they've been in their houses for 10, 15 years, more likely. It's more people that were just in it recently that... If you ever looked at one of those statements that somebody's a year behind in their payments, like their mortgage balance is so astronomically high because that interest rate goes backwards and starts like really compounding the overall payment. And I bet when they, if you are in foreclosure and you an investor want to buy it, you're paying all that back interest, all those back penalties, none of that stuff, all those late charges, all of the penalties and mm-hmm. um, the, uh, what they say they were going to get rid of. Uh, yeah. The late charges. Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff's going to be back on there to where like, they're going to be so far underwater that it's not going to be worth anything to even pick up, especially if there's deferred maintenance on top of it where like, it's like, okay, they've been behind for two years now. And cause I said, if they can't even start to foreclose until beginning of next year, well, March of 2022, that'd be two years that somebody could have potentially fallen behind on their mortgage, like two years behind on a mortgage that or 5% interest rate because they obviously didn't refinance during these low amount, these low times. So that the, those interest values are going to be astronomically higher. Well, and then, so I have a question then, because you brought up an excellent point is, which is very rare guys. If you ever watch the show, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you brought up an excellent point is that these people now are going to essentially be, damn it. Uh, well, I'm curious, are they going to be over leveraged? Or, well, they have to be because, I mean, I'm thinking they are saying they're going to extend to 40-year mortgages, right, to make the payments and all that make sense. If the house needs any level of improvement, you're over leveraged, right? But then you add closing costs and all these things. So these people that are, are being over leveraged, they are refinancing now. They're pretty much guaranteed that now they are tied to this home. They're never going to get like at least yeah. the next 10 years, oh, yeah. if not more, you know, because it's like you, aside from a short sale, what other option do you have from getting out of this home? Yeah, well, massive appreciation. Well, that's what I said. Like if you extend it out to 40 years and then in the interest rate and everything, like you're going to be in on your currently underwater, then you got to account for sales costs of 10% yeah. uh, to, for your real estate agent fees and all the other concessions and stuff. And then you got to maintain the home. Like you're talking, you do have to be in the house for an extended period of time and you're there and you're never going to get out from underneath it. And your payments probably gonna be so high. You won't be able to rent it out to cover it. So like you could, yeah, you could be, 
recovering from years uh, of trying to get over this stuff. So, but it is one of the things that it shows that they will protect the housing market in any way they possibly can. Because I made the comment before we started when I saw the four, they're now Fannie Mae, you have an article in here about it, yep. um, the 40 years. I mean, why don't you go into that before I well, make the point? I want to, before we moved on to that, I wanted one more thing that I saw out of this is for any of you guys looking to do any type of foreclosure marketing, they pretty much gave you their play right now saying that anybody that was six plus months behind prior to March 2020 is no longer going to be Forgiven. Which is crazy. So, Six months beforehand. So my question is, as an investor, what is it that you can do to find out who was six plus months behind prior to 2020? Because this is what I see as, as an investor, as somebody that picks up these kind of distressed homes, right? Is if you were six months behind prior to March, you add all of the appreciation all of this time, everything here, one, you're going to be facing a huge hardship, which not many investors are going to be able to help these homeowners because it's probably going to be like, even if you were to do subject to, which, you know, a lot of people find sexy and don't understand how the hell it works. But even if you were to do a subject to your reinstatement on something like that is probably going to be oh, tremendous. Yeah. Could you imagine two years of payments at, I mean, you just think about it, like your average payment, $1,300. Okay. That's What's that? Uh, thirteen thousand plus another twenty six hundred fifteen six hundred. Mm -hmm. That fifteen thousand six hundred dollars two years. So you're talking thirty one thousand two hundred dollars grand plus reinstatement. Yeah, it's like plus all the late fees on top of that stuff. So it's like you're talking forty forty five grand. Well, they and we know alone, and like, we, we know from dealing with uh um, you know for uh, foreclosures. It's the reinstatement plus the attorney fees plus all these other things. Like, there's a lot of fees involved in a foreclosure that's yeah. beyond that. Yeah. So you're looking at again, like we're saying, probably on a standard home, you're probably looking at thirty-five grand just to pick up the home. That's not including repairs or anything like that. So yeah. unless they had Stanch a equity. decent amount of equity and the area has appreciated and the payment is attractive <laughs> to where it's like hey i can rent this thing for 1700 and my payment's 1200 or yeah. 1300 and that and that's something Even that then that's a terrible return on the cash on cash return ex aspect of it yeah like, well but that that is something that we talked about with dan cuz dan is uh part of steps and they have a whole program for their agents for short sales like this is a time that i think when we will see short sales really pick up because for those people that were six plus months behind, their only option might only be a short sell because unless they, if they were already, I just can't see if they were already six months behind, they're already struggling. How did you, how were you able to perhaps find a job during this time period when you obviously were struggling prior to this and continue maybe to make payments, which I doubt if you're already that far behind, you probably just stop making payments. Yeah. So and then people aren't, or notorious for, hey, I got my job back. I know I had this fourteen hundred payment before, so I should probably save that fourteen hundred dollars. And so whenever I do want this money, I, I have money to do that. No, they go spend it. Like I, case in point, I went to a foreclosure and the loan transferred from one lender to another, and then they tried to make a payment they weren't doing online, and their payment got rejected. Yeah. And instead of trying to figure out to get the payment to the right lender, because it went from like Chase to Aquin or something like that. And they just stopped making the payments. 
It's not. like you you had the money, you were ready to make the payment, and then it went to another lender, and it's like, so you have the money to pay it then? Like, well, no. It's like you're just as broke now as you were when you were making your payments, and now except you have a new 75-inch plasma screen TV and two brand-new trucks sitting out in your driveway. So they blew the money because it's not like they hit a financial well, hardship. It's like they just, the, the loan transfer, they couldn't make the payments, so they just yeah, stopped but making all John, together. You, you got to understand that you got to value quality of life, man. That that big screen TV and those new trucks, like, it just, it makes me happy, oh, you know? for all of, like, four months. Come on. So it, it is something that is just, like, you, you don't understand when I'm in front of that Instagram picture, man. It's everything. It's everything. <laughs> those likes that but, I get are so cute. Uh, but yeah, guys, I, there, there are opportunities for investors and this is not, this is something that always annoys the shit out of me when people are like, oh, you guys are vultures. You guys are taking advantage of everybody. No, nobody else can help them. Do you understand this? Like in a lot of these situations, it's because the government can't help or whatever the financial institutions can't help. Um, a realtor can't definitely help. They have no, no options for them. So the only people that have the knowledge, the resources, and the capability to help them is us. Well, We're the only it. ones willing to take that risk well, to help them out. I mean, here's, this isn't financial advice, uh, but yes. I mean, a lot of times with those short sales and stuff like that, where like, if you had the knowledge, you knew how the process worked, we were the ones, the investor, investor agents, whoever they were, were helping walk the people through the short sale process yep. because that paperwork is kind of confusing. It is, a, a string, and there's no guarantee they're going to accept it. And you have to do the paperwork back and forth. Like it's a long process Yeah. to where like the most people just get fed up and give up to where this is an opportunity to where if you find somebody that's in this situation, be like, look. I'll buy the house from you, but you have to go through this process to get this loan modified to get it off your back. It's like, and then I can buy it from you, give you a couple thousand bucks to move and get you out. Like it's going to be on your credit. I can do the, the sub two at that point, but you can't do the reinstatement. You have to do the loan modification because I even said the payments can't rise. Yeah. So unless they put something in there that says you're going to stay in this house for at least five years, which I don't think they would do, an investor agent person could help walk them through the modification process, get the interest rate lowered, get the payments to stay the same, get the loan modified, get all that stuff back in there. So now instead of putting 45 grand, 30 or whatever it may be to buy the loan subject to, you just now extended the payments, put the things in the rear or, or the rears or whatever it is that you need to do to be able to make that house profitable for you. Uh, and it might be just that it's going to take a long process to walk somebody through that deal to get them to the finish line and then you buy it at the very end. So well, that is something where I see some, you being able to educate yourself enough on. And here is a warning for all of you new wholesalers or, you know, even if you've been doing this for a year or two, you're, you're still new. All right. You haven't, you don't understand the process. <laughs> you haven't dealt with this enough. This is serious. Take it serious. All right. This is not just another money grab for you. These are people that are having real financial hardships. There is a way to help them. There is a way of doing this smart. If you don't know how to, partner with somebody that does. Partner with somebody that has been through these cycles, that understands how to handle a foreclosure. Because if not, you are not only not helping them, but you're causing them so much more distress and you continue to give a bad name to the investment community that is actually out there trying to help people. So if you don't understand the short sale process, if you don't understand the foreclosure process, subject twos, you don't understand this, stop jumping into this hoping for the best because you are at that point, you are not considering the seller. You're considering only your needs. 
And that kind of greed, that kind of ignorance is what gives investors such a bad name. So I recommend, please, if you're going to do this, which is very, it's going to be very necessary, partner with somebody, find yourself an investor that has the experience that's been through these cycles, not an investor that just talks a lot, somebody that's actually been through the cycles and partner with them on these deals until you learn it. Once you learn it, you can have at it, but please take it, understand it and do what's right for the investor, for the homeowner. Let's go with the, the so, Jeannie May unveils the 40-year So mortgages. on this whole topic, uh, 40-year mortgages, uh, Ginny May, Jeannie May uh, is set to introduce a new 40-year mortgage term for its issuers on the heel of the administrative shakeups at the top of the housing industry. So only modified loans with terms greater than 361 months and less than or equal to 480 months will be accepted, but there will be no loan amount restriction, Ginny May said. So the mortgage bond giant said it expects the new pool to be available in October. We have begun the work to make this security product available because an extended term up to 40 years can be a powerful tool in reducing the monthly payment obligation with the goal of home retention. It's important that Ginny Mae issuers have secondary market liquidity for options that are that our agency partners determine are appropriate for supporting homeowners in distress. We think the market will find value in securities backed by these loans. So we wanted to provide a pooling structure that would enable issuers to capture that value, thereby enhancing their ability to provide the strongest possible option to the homeowners while remaining respectful of investor capital. HUD senior advisor uh, said, finding solutions to help keep people in their homes has been a priority of HUD's leadership team over the past 12 months. As interest rates rise, this 40-year feature will enable more payment reduction options to homeowners. Ginny May has been integral to the interagency actions to prevent foreclosures for homeowners experiencing financial hardships as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So 40-year loan. And I found an example that I wanted to share with you of what this really means. It's not just the extra payments, but kind of how we talked about earlier of what does this look like over the course of this people's lifetime, right? So if somebody buys a $350,000 home at 6% in, uh, interest, yes, I know interest is lower, but this was the example, 6% fixed interest for 30 years, they're paying a total of 405 a little over $405,000 in interest. Now, if they do the same 350 loan for 40 years, which is going to tack on another uh, quarter percent to half a percent interest, that's $603,000 in interest payments. So you're going in in a 10-year difference, you're going from paying $400,000 in interest to paying over six hundred thousand in interest on the same home, like that's a that's a huge, huge, huge difference, and that's just interest payments on the home. That's not the actual value of the home and stuff. So 
I mean, you look at that over 40 years, like we talked about before, how the hell do people climb out of that? You know, what does that mean for an already tight housing market? We already have this tight housing market, low inventory, everything. And the HUD, like they say, they've been focused on this for the last 12 months to see how it is that they can keep more people in their home. So how can you keep more people in their home? We're not building more homes. People need more homes. <laughs> it's like, I think when people, when we talk about the affordability, when people are saying, you know, when's this housing market going to stop or calm down or slow down? Crash. It's like, I don't look at these policies. Where do you see this happening? Well, it's one of the things too, like, like point I was alluding to earlier that we talked about, it's like, they will do whatever they can to keep people in their homes to keep the real estate prices continuing to rise because they realize after 2008, like the pain that that caused when home values dropped that much and real estate values open that much. I mean, you look at politicians, like their personal net worth, most of it is held in real estate in itself to where, uh, you modify a loan do 40 years from 30 years. I, I wish they would have put in like, what's that do on a payment or like the dropping the payment? Cause that's what we're like, people don't look at the value of homes. They don't look at interest rates. They don't look at anything. What they look at is the payment and they afford that payment. Mm-hmm. So they don't care about it. Majority of people don't care about anything else, but us as investors do care about those, but what the values actually are. But now when you do that and you say you go from a 30 year to 40 year and it drops a payment, $120 that now allows a whole new pool of people to buy into that. So what that also does is it allows interest rates to rise and not tank the market to where it's like, Hey, you can do a 40 year, but now this payment's the same as a 30 year at 3% is a 40 year at five and a half percent. It's the same payments so allows interest rates to rise across the spectrum to where when you diversify between 15, 30, twenties and 40 year mortgages and stuff like that, it allows things to kind of stable off across the whole industry. So it would be a way for them to increase interest rates without tanking the real estate market because they just extended the time frame. Yeah. And so it's just like, but people don't realize like your point exactly, like the difference between your, how much money you actually pay over that course of that time. But nobody looks at that kind of stuff. So I think that is exactly what it's going to do is like, they are going to back the market to where like I was at uh, the gym the other day and some gentlemen were talking about like, Oh yeah, the housing market always crashes every 10 to 15 years. It'll happen here really soon. Like, yeah. And if it doesn't, it's like policies like this, them stepping in the fed and backing up, the entire mortgage industry in March of 2020, when it looked like it was going to completely just fall apart. Like they're going to do all kinds of things to stable off that market and do all kinds right. of new creative things. Cause if they're going to 40 years, what's stopped going to 50 years. I'd be curious to see like, what is the longest mortgage term in the entire world? Cause I know 30 years was just kind of a thing here in the U S where over in Europe, they have like 40, 50 year. Well, even no, even in the U S I was looking at it. They do have uh, some lenders oh. do offer a 40 and 50 year uh, mortgage much higher interest rate and everything but in in the qualifications it's like you need an outstanding credit you need like a, a ridiculous like kind of job security consistent yeah. payment all these things but they do yeah because like those you products. can't sell that to uh fan- the federal government because most of these right. mortgages get sold to these massive banks that go packaged up in bonds and sold off to institutional investors yep or like banks don't hold these, but something like that, the bank would have to hold. So that's probably why there's like, hey, we'll lend you that amount of money, but we're doing a higher interest rate or 50 years because they're the ones stuck holding that paper for essentially forever or until they sell that thing off to other people. But somebody's got to service that loan. Yeah. So moving on, uh, like I said, buy and hold investors. Uh, there's some news for you as well. 
Uh, well, I mean, this news prior to this falls for everybody, but this is for the rental market. And there are three. So this was an actual interview that was being done. And I just took some notes on it. But the housing headaches are shifting to the to the rental market. So there are three factors likely to drive rents higher over the next decade, uh, over the next, sorry, over the next year at the minimum. And the first is the expected normalization of the economy as people get back to their pre-pandemic routines, office buildings reopen, and urban life returns. Data from apartment lists shows that rents have risen at a strong rate since March in the metros that were hardest hit by the pandemic. Apart from how you feel about rising rents, this dynamic should be welcome. Normal life is better than people <laughs> sheltering in place and working from home because business uh, business districts have shut down. The second is how the recent frenzy of home buying has changed the rent versus own calculations. So home prices... <clears throat> Home prices nationally are up by about 15% since early 2020, significantly more in some metro areas like Austin, Texas, while inventories, despite rising somewhat in the past month, remain near historic lows. Some people who might have bought a home are deciding to keep renting instead to give the market time to normalize. So... On a cost basis, renting has become relatively more attractive, even with the decline in mortgage rates. If home prices have risen 15 to 20 or 20 percent in your area, an apartment with rent that's 5 percent higher is a relatively better deal than it was 18 months ago. So they're saying 5 percent higher than the mortgage payment? Or what did you say? An apartment with a rent that's 5 percent higher? I'm guessing just the rent is 5 percent higher. Okay. So... But now my question is, looking at that, right? So you're looking at the this last line, uh, deciding to keep renting instead to give the market time to normalize. Is that even a smart play to try to give the market time to normalize? Because I, I hear this time and time again for so many investors. The mostly are new investors, but I get a lot of investors reach out to me through like bigger pockets and stuff, and they're saying, "Hey, you know." When do you think it's going to be a good time to get into market? Should I just wait uh, for, th for this to slow down? And again, this is why we do this show, right? This is why we cover all these articles, all these topics, because it's like, look at what Ginny May just offered. Look at what the FHFA is proposing with foreclosures or everything. Why would you think that this is going to slow down anytime soon? You know, and the next, my question to you, I guess, would be is, if you are a renter, is now the right time to buy a home or would you recommend somebody wait to buy a home? What do you think? Well, I mean, it goes back to the same thing we've always talked about. It's like, can you afford it? That's what it comes down to. It's like, it's not, don't look at prices. Don't look at the values. Don't look at what's going on in the market as far as like, is it going up or is it going down? Is it going to, what's going to happen? My luck, I'm going to buy it and everything's going to come crashing down. It's like, doesn't make sense for you. You're not looking at buying a house as a one, two year investment as a homeowner. Like an investor, yes, we do have to take those things and anticipate those things. So it's also like why fixing and flipping is so much more risky than buying and holding rental, rental property. 
And that's why you do have to do those analysis. But if you're a homeowner, it's like, is the right time to buy? It's like, I don't know. Is your, are you financially stable enough to buy a house? Because the second you buy that house, that mortgage payment will hardly ever go down unless you do refinance it after a significant amount of time. So you have to look at it from that state. It's like, so should I rent or should I buy? It's like, I don't know. What's your rent payment? What's your mortgage payment going to be? Mm-hmm. If it's 1400 and 1400, I'd say keep renting because you don't have like the house takes maintenance. Like your house isn't appreciating. What's appreciating is the dirt underneath it with the asset. You have to maintain the house over time. You have to upgrade it. You have to put new roofs and you have to put air conditioning on it. You have to do all this stuff when it's a rental property. You don't have to do that. So it should be substantially more to where I rent is like 1600 and I can go buy a house for 1400. It's like, now you're starting getting in the realm where you might be able to afford that. And from an investor standpoint, you have to look at that aspect. Like, all right, if the market, how fast does the market turn negative and how fast does it go down? And if you're on razor thin margins and you're only expecting like a $20,000 profit going into the project, it's like, mm, if the market does turn, can I look fire sale this thing and get out from underneath it before the market completely falls out? If something like that does happen. Right. So you do have to analyze it and look at it from that aspect. Well, and one thing that I look at, like if you're a homeowner, asking yourself, should I keep renting or buying? My thing, my question to you is, why do you feel like you need to buy a home? Do you want to buy a home because of what purpose? Like, do you feel that it's an investment? You know, is that why you want to buy a home? Are you buying it because of a tax shelter? Are you, why are you buying a home? Because you can rent a home that has all the same amenities. And could you possibly be paying a premium for the rent uh, compared to a mortgage, and yes, I understand what all of, all these uh, gurus out there are saying. You know, oh, all the rent payments are gone, and you know, well, your mortgage payment pays down your equity. Like, I get that, I get that. But when you add the cost to owning a home and everything, it's like you're—I don't know—I don't know if you're—you know—over the course of time, yes, owning a home makes more sense, equity pay down, appreciation, all of that over time. But then you have to make sure you can update it at that time to the current market requirements so you can sell at that profit, capture that equity. If not, that equity buildup did absolutely nothing for you. I mean, we've bought houses from uh, homeowners that they're like, but I had $40,000 in equity. It's like, yeah, and you also have $30,000 in, in deferred maintenance. You know, it's yeah. like your equity is gone. So when you look at all well, these especially things- here in, Especially here in Texas when it's like, uh, we have shifty foundations and yeah. if you can't afford to fix the foundation, you doing all the repairs around the house. Doesn't matter. Like we just or bought one yeah. where they spent, I don't know how many thousands of dollars repairing the plumbing to the house. Cause their things weren't draining. Right. It's like, it's your foundation. And how messed up was that foundation? And the foundation was significantly worse than what we even anticipated because we didn't realize the front of the garage was the high point. We measured the house like, oh, it only drops three inches front to back. Not that big a deal. We didn't realize like the kitchen dropped three inches from the front of the driveway. Yep. So like we had to lift the whole house up. And I mean, it snapped plumbing. And like, so we had to redo the plumbing that they just paid thousands of dollars to fix a year ago. Yeah. So, so yeah. So looking at it from that regard, I think I like renting for the fact that you're still more flexible in being able to, let's say, you know, you get a better job opportunity, a, a, a different opportunity opens up another side of town, whatever it may be, you're more flexible with a house, especially if you're overpaying for a house and everything, it makes it that much more difficult for you to just pick up and move, you know, and, and do anything with it because chances are you probably 
oh, what the house is still worth, right? Yeah. So you look at all those things. And then as an investment goes, we talk about this all the time. You need to do more. Obviously, a buy and hold. You should not buy a fix and flip if you're over leveraged. Um, <laughs> there's no, no margin there. Well, I don't know. I've seen but, people do that nowadays because yeah. of the like, oh, the market's going to appreciate. It's going to be worth so much more in three months. Like, yeah, maybe it could, but it could also not yeah. be. And then and then we get the calls of like, hey, can you help me? Yeah. Do you want to lose thirty or forty thousand dollars? That's kind of what you're looking at right now. Yeah. But uh, what you need to make sure is your cash flowing, right? If you can cash flow north of two fifty. And I'm talking about net cash flow, 250 plus. That's including if you have property managers, that's including everything. This is your net cash flow. Then you might be sitting better because chances for rents to drop $250 for you to like be pretty much break even yeah. or negative. Rents don't. Very freaking tank. hard to do. You know what I mean? Like the, rents typically don't drop, well, especially like, in the market you're in. What's going to cause rents to drop? Like rents are based purely on a supply and demand basis. Right. To where you would literally have to have an exodus of the area of people. Like you'd have to have a massive supply of new cheap homes on the market that everyone left renting and went there. Everyone stopped moving here and then turned around and left the the damn city or state or wherever you're at towards like, mm. that's why rents are so stable and they might fluctuate a little bit, but not much like i don't i'd love to i'd highly doubt i'd put my i'd bet money on that rents have never gone from one year to the next down two hundred dollars because even in recessions rents tend to hold stable or increase because more people are wanting to buy yeah i mean more people are wanting to rent versus buy when they see housing prices coming down so yeah. or in this last one it's like people like housing prices were accelerating so where it's like yeah people wanted to get out like from close quarters and like they sucked up all the inventory for rentals too so uh, the article actually continues and he talked about, cause he had talked about there's three things that are, are going to be affecting the rental market. And he said the third factor is the speed of wage increases in certain lower paid service industries as companies like Amazon, Chipotle and Costco engage in arms, an arms race to staff warehouses, restaurants and big box stores. While it won't affect luxury apartments in New York or San Francisco, the higher wages will empower landlords to raise rent, particularly in metro areas that are that are housing constrained. So one thing that we talked about, I want to say it was uh, not last Coffee with the Johns, but the one prior to that, um, I believe it was 23, episode 23. We talked about how Amazon is planning on doing a big warehouse on the south side of San Antonio. That kind of warehouse where the starting pay is already at 15 plus dollars an hour with all the stuff that they're doing. Um, I think for Amazon, very strategic play. They're targeting like they're, the employer pool is literally where they're building the, the factory. So I think if you own houses on the south side or are thinking about it, Amazon putting a factory there with these kind of uh, pay raises and as they keep raising their pay and everything they're doing, um, you have a pretty consistent rental pool down there that's yeah. going to be, a, I think, a hell of a decent rental pool. Um, so continuing with that, he says, because renters often sign one-year leases, cumulative rent increases. We're you know what that. I mean. All right, yeah, guys? we'll go with that. You, you know what word that is. Uh, rent increases will phase in 
over the next year as contracts expire and reset. For instance, imagine that someone in San Francisco signed a year lease in September for $2,400 a month in an apartment that went to $3,000 a month before the pandemic. By renewal time, the rent for that apartment, which has been steadily rising by about 3% a month over the course of a year, has fully recovered to three, uh, three grand. From the tenant's perspective, that represents a 25% jump all at once. So I wanted to ask you in this regard, either I'm misunderstanding the article or uh, they do shit differently in San, in San Francisco, but would you raise a tenant's rent 25% in one, from one year to the next? Uh, it depends on the strength of the renter pool. I guess where like if you think that you can immediately get somebody in there without having a month of vacancy, then yeah, maybe. But it's also like uh, I think that's more for and they say luxury apartments. So apartments obviously do things a little differently than a single family house because they have multiple units bringing cash flow from all different types or different areas of the complex. Mm. For like a single family house, where like I couldn't raise rent on a tenant that's been because there's also like for us like we personally know these people. Yeah, we deal with them like if they have an issue, like I know their names. I've interviewed them. We talked with them and we know their kind of their personal situation a little bit to where if they've been a good paying tenant, I'm not going to jack the rent up 25 percent at one shot as like one. I just feel like I feel I don't know if I could sleep at night doing that to that many people, keeping them on the fringe like that. But it's also if they do move. Well, now what do I got to do? I got to now take time away from my other business activities to go and clean the house, do any type of renovations, potentially missing one month of payments yeah. to where it's like, hey, you miss a month and a half of payments. You just lost all of your your quote unquote rent gain uh, for that. And there's no telling that tenant's going to stay there for, for more than a year anyway. So yeah. like, if I got somebody that's in the house, that has been been performing well, paying rent early, doing everything they needed to do. It's notifying me on time, being very communi communicative on things. Like I'm not going to jack at 25%, but now apartments, they live in a different, a different realm to where they'll, they will jack rent. I see that amount because they can afford those vacancies right. because they have somebody there on site managing that complex. That's their job is to fill vacancies. They're not doing anything else, but that. Well, and, so, and also in apartments, you, you have uh, the scale too of the apartment versus a home, yeah. right? Because, the home, it's literally just that home versus a, an apartment complex. It's like the overall income of everybody, you know, that pitches in. But the article goes ahead and concludes with, this has implications for the Federal Reserve too. In its June meeting, the Fed expressed a greater concern about inflation than it has in some time. While some of the conditions driving inflation this year will probably subside over the coming months, used car prices begin being among the most obvious, the press rents that were helping keep inflation in check will now be picking up. A rise in rents, which may accelerate in months to come, could lead to a new, less transitionary kind of inflation for the Fed to deal with in 2022. So it's something that you and I talked about. Inflation is not only coming, it's here. And how will the Fed adjust? And I think what we talked about in the prior article is extend the, the mortgages, 40 years, 50 years, whatever. You keep mortgage payments low. You keep affordability 
uh, available, and you can also raise interest rates at this point. Well, it's one of the things, uh, <laughs> dude, because like used car sales and rents are two big components of inflation. And then you have food and energy costs and everything else. They strip some energy costs out and stuff like that. Or it's like, and you got used car sales jumping like, like I heard something yesterday, like 30% year over year for a used car to where it's like, how did I buy a depreciating asset in 2017? And it's now worth more than what it was when I bought it. <laughs> yep. And it's because of these massive shortages and the same thing with rents to where uh, I got a little thing here that uh, the white house panned over tweet on prices of 4th of July cookouts. The White House is largely paying on social media on Thursday over a tweet that mentioned the decrease in cost for home cookouts this year during the 4th of July weekend. The cost of a 4th of July cookout and the, the little caption was in the picture was the cost of the 4th of July cookout in 2021 is down 16 cents from last year. And then the context above the picture was planning a cookout this year, catch up on the news. According to the farm bureau, the cost of a 4th of July barbecue is down from last year. It's in fact, you must hear hot dogs or hot dog. The Biden economic plan is working. And that's something we can all relish. And several very, people, very cute. Very yeah. Cute. Some people came out. were like, are you kidding me? Have you looked at the price of gas? The average price per gallon is 315, 42% higher than it was a year ago. Given context of last year, I understand that, but they were significantly higher even compared to 2019. And um, Dan Price, the Gravity Payment CEO, also responded to the tweet saying, 16 cents? Really? Home prices are going up 24% annually right now. The median home goes up 16 cents every 1.3 seconds right now. Or like they're like, well, look, the cookouts are cheaper, but literally everything else across the spectrum is more expensive to the point of like, yeah, food is in the inflation numbers and those numbers might be down, whatever. But you look at the cost of lumber, you look at the cost of housing, you look at used cars, you look at energy prices like, OK, yeah, you fixed on this tiny little point that dropped 16 cents. Well, that's what they always do, right? Don't they say, oh, food costs and all this, but they're always replacing what they consider to be food. Like if if pork went down, then it's like, well, you should be eating pork. Why are you eating meat? If this went down, then you should be doing that, not this, right? So it's like they're always adjusting it to whatever suits, you know, the narrative better. So that's where I look at and I always like to look at not what the news is saying, but what people are doing, what we do, right? Yeah. Like just because let's say pork is cheaper, I, you know, there's people that even it's against their religion to eat pork, right? Like there's a whole bunch of different examples with different types of food. That's like, yeah, I get that's cheaper, but does not mean that I'm going to consume that. You understand? So my cost has gone up. I'm just so, curious though, too, because I went and bought some steaks the other day and I was like, my God, like four steaks was like $45. Yeah. It's like, and that, that's when I saw that down 16 cents. Like, what are you feeding people? Mm. <laughs> What's the cost? What is your barbecue? Is it uh, like a uh, rice tofu burgers? Like, you just yeah. supplemented things down. We're like, we'll just get rid of all the expensive stuff. And you can have a rice tofu burger instead of an actual hamburger. Uh, so it is very interesting when I saw that. And like, and 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 that's, that's just politicians. Like, that's not one administration versus the other Republican Democrats is like, it's politics of how they try to focus on these things. And it's like, come on, get out of here with that stuff. You could have, should have known that you were going to get that kind of reaction, uh, yeah. out of posting something like that. But so what you got here? Right. Um, another thing I found interesting, like amongst, uh, staying on the topic of real estate, uh, 
the new trend, and this is actually something out of here in San Antonio of like the build to rent model versus like since housing prices are getting so high and people are starting to realize like, you know what? Renting isn't so bad. Um, as long as you've got a good landlord and a good house and you're not get somebody that just doesn't want to do any repairs. So the Atlanta mm. company to convert student housing in it into single family duplex rentals. Where is it? Peter just froze. Um, sorry. Uh, an Atlanta-based real estate company plans to convert a student housing community into more traditional community, part of an $800 million effort to build single-family rental communities across the country. Rangewater Real Estate bought Aspen Heights, a student housing community built in 2011 uh, over there on the northwest, northeast, no. Northwest side of town <laughs> by UTSA for an undisclosed price. The company is for wow. no, um, the company is rebranding the property as the cottages at Leon Creek and will market the 284 single family homes and duplexes for rent to the general public. The 53 acre community along the Leon Creek Greenbelt or Greenway includes detached four bedroom homes and attached two and three bedroom homes. Rangewater plans to fence the pro- fence in the private yards for every home, as well as update the common areas and renovate the units with new appliances, countertops, cabinets as leases expire. The purchase is the first of Rangewater's single-family rental arms, Satoria, which plans to deploy $800 million to build 15 communities in the Sun Belt cities. So this uh, whole rent or uh, build to rent kind of model is taking off where they took like and I, I thought about it, I was like, that's, in, that's genius. Because like, where else do you find that many housing units that you can buy in one shop besides student housing, like a community like that with 284 units that you can buy all at once and renovate? Because it's not an apartment complex. It's not a condo. The only other thing I can think of is like your condos that you could buy a out an entire condo regime and turn them all into single family rentals if you wanted to. Yeah. But like, it's like, yeah, those student housing developments that aren't dorms that are just like your single family rental properties, but for student housing, you bought the whole thing, converted it into it. And especially the location of that is you have Valero, you have USAA over there. You got security Service federal credit union. You got the rim Dominion, like a high income generating area. And as the traffic gets worse and worse and worse, people are going to want to gravitate towards those areas. So I think it's uh, genius that they've kind of found that because they said they've had to try to bid on other types of communities like that. And it's like, and they're not the only ones bidding on these. Like there are a lot of money chasing this kind of model to well, purchase homes. And it's something that we always talk about, about like why you want to read these articles, why you want to pay attention, because some of these bigger guys, they're definitely doing things that we don't think about. You know, they're doing investments that we haven't even <laughs> considered where it's like, I, I agree. I think that's genius where it's a building is very difficult right now. Getting permits, getting approval by the city, getting all this is very difficult right now. So if you're able to do this with being able to buy, you know, a more distressed commercial property or something along those lines and convert it. I think you're getting a hell of a deal probably for what you're buying and it's not something that you got to sit on for the next who the hell knows how long before the city allows you to actually go ahead and and build it. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think it was when I heard that I was like, "Holy shit, that's a very genius business business model." Yeah. If you can find the properties, but very yeah, smart. It, it really is. Um so I mean, it's something that was uh, very interesting that I kind of saw, but uh 
to go along with that, and this is something I'd propose to people that, hey, if you could do a little research on it, because I tried to find it, and I can't figure out when it is. The lumber prices dive more than 40% in June, the biggest monthly drop on record. Lumber futures tanked more than 40% in June alone, suffering their worst month on recorded dating back to 1978. At their peak on May 7th, lumber prices hit an all-time high of $1,670.50 per thousand board feet on closing basis, which was more than six times higher than their pandemic low in April 2020. The quick reversal of lumber months-long rally came as America started Americans started to go on vacation again amid the economic reopening instead of taking on renovation and building projects. This drop suggests that the cause of that inflation was the mismatch of supply and demand will not last forever. At one point, the lumber shortage led to the average price of new single-family homes increasing by nearly $36,000, according to the National Association of Home Builders. The red-hot housing market also saw a record shortage of existing homes available. In April, about one in four homes for sale were new builds, the highest share ever. Historically, new homes make up about one in ten. Recently, there have Mm. been signs of the housing boom fizzling. Weekly mortgage demand fell 6.9% last week to the lowest level in almost a year and a half. Now, lumber futures prices are on track for their sixth consecutive weekly loss, wiping out all of their 2021 rally. The price fell another 6% on Wednesday to around $710 per thousand board feet. Currently, as of this morning, I checked, it's at $764.30. My question is, okay... I understand that this is just the paper future market of contracts or people are losing money. So that's not what Home Depot is actually executing. The mills are actually executing these contracts at, Mm -hmm. but they are loosely tied together. So when or how long does it take for when you see these futures drop off to when prices of actual lumber that the consumer, you and I would go buy? Is it, does it take a month? Is it six weeks? And how closely do they drop? Because like with the, that massive amount of drop going from 1600 down to seven, low 700s, like you think that would roll into, and they're saying it's just a supply and demand issue. Like, so when does OSB, which was $10 a sheet before the pandemic, that's now $50 a sheet. When does that price drop back down to, I don't know, 20, 30 bucks? How long does that take? What does it take? And so, like, uh, so uh, to answer that question, I, I've, Actually, I covered an article. This was again a few weeks back uh, when lumber prices started dropping. They went from sixteen hundred down to like nine hundred or something. And one thing they said that they were expecting by around, and this was that drop back then. It would be around July time frame, July August, when the consumer would actually start seeing that. But they're saying that if any increase happens from then till from that moment till now. Uh, we won't see that drop happen because a lot of these suppliers and everything are going to hedge against this new rising price. So they're not going to drop the prices yeah. just because it, the futures had dropped a little bit. So that was something that they talked well, about I mean, in that article. We're going to find it out firsthand now because like our new build is cleared. We do have permits for it and we are going to be buying lumber packages in here in the next couple of weeks. Like I have, I have the takeoff now. I'm going to start sending it to builders, uh, lumber yards to start bidding the project out. We're like, yeah, I'm going to bid it out now, but I'm also going to bid it uh, every two weeks or like until we actually purchase that lumber package. And it might be beneficial. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to buy 
a little bit at a time. I'm going to buy, Hey, I'm just going to get the first floor and we're going to get the second floor. And then I'm going to get OSB later. Like I'm going to buy it stages out instead of trying to prepay everything up front. It's like, Hey, with prices starting to come down, I'm going to constantly be bidding against all of the lumber yards to see like, Hey, have your prices dropped, have your prices dropped, have your prices dropped and move that along. Cause I don't want to hold off the build, but it's one of those that when you yeah. see that massive of a drop and continuing to fall and not spiking back up, so let me ask you, because that was one thing too that we saw um, when we were trying to get the takeoff done, which we take it to one of these lumber uh, stores and they pretty much tell you how much how much of each you're going to need, nails, everything, right? To tell you how, pretty much what type of lumber package you should be buying. They were, what was it? All They were behind by quite a bit, right? I mean, what do you think was causing that delay in all these uh, these lumber companies? It's a really good question. Like, I have no idea like yeah. what was causing these things. Because, uh, I mean, you walk into some of these stores and it's like, there's tons of lumber. Like, yeah. every time, I never went in, like, yes, when I walked in, like, Home Depot, I noticed, like, all the doors, there's no doors there. But, like, when you walk through the lumber section, they're not bare. Shelves aren't bare. I mean, there's stacks of OSB across the top. Like people are still buying it. So like, I never knew like who had it or where it was going. Yeah. I don't know. It was a very interesting phenomenon. That's where I'm just kind of curious. Like, are they going to drop like a rock too? And when you're talking, like, hey, we're not buying a two by four to build a house. We're buying hundreds of and all different types of lumber to build these houses. Like, yeah, if it's got thirty six thousand dollars in costs, like it drops in half over the course of two weeks. Uh, yeah, I got to pay some interest, but I'm not paying $18,000 in interest over two weeks. So it's worth just like holding off. It's going to be very interesting to like to balance that act. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then here's something that I was interested in when you look at all this, right. And we talk about the housing shortages and we keep hearing about Fannie, FHA, um, all these products, everything, you know, the administration is trying to make it more affordable for people to buy homes, all of these things. But yet we are, are yet to talk about how to make home building more affordable by lowering regulations, by lowering, you know, these ridiculous costs and delays that it takes us to even begin to break ground. Yeah. And one thing that you oh. and I have spoken about before is that we're not asking you to remove the regulations on uh, is the home safe, uh, the inspection process, none of that. We're just saying if you make the regulation at least cheaper and faster, then we would be able to actually build more homes to sustain this affordability. And then when you're working, when you're worried about affordability being an issue, guess what? Adding more inventory to the market actually helps that. If we can drop more properties into the market, that's going to help affordability. Oh, drastically. So why is nobody thinking or or do they just not care or is it not hitting them? Why aren't people, why aren't politicians, not people, why aren't politicians doing this for the for the build community to try to lower regulations, lower all the pre-construction shit that is causing so many problems and so many issues to the housing inventory, to this uh, market that we're in. I mean, that that's what I'm curious about. Uh, I don't know, because that would be the logical solution. It's like, you need more housing. Like, why did it take me to buy a freaking lot four months 
to yeah. get cleared. And it wasn't because I was moving slow. It's like, no, because of your regulations, because of your stupid zoning laws, because of your stupid boards, because of your timelines, because of all these mm-hmm. factors that are on the freaking municipality, I had to wait four months to get this house under. Because where I planned, we could have had this house on the market by now and sold. And if profitable, going to buy another land and go maybe two, three more lots because we've now got a process in place to build more houses. But now I got to wait another three, four months to figure that out Yeah, for ourselves. So where it's like, us having that ability to build like some of these regulations, some of these, like you have to have this fail safe on top of this fail safe on top of this fail safe. So this doesn't happen. It's like, my God, the cost that you just raise the house because of all this extra stuff that I have to do across this entire freaking house that like, it just makes it ungodly expensive. Or if you de- I mean, like I was like, I'm wondering when that's going to happen when they deregulate some of these industries and these building yes. things. Cause like, if, Exactly, because you saw it once uh, they deregulated the um, airlines in like the 70s or 80s, whenever that happened, like now the cost of travel, like you saw it over the course of the next several decades when like it drastically went down compared to what it cost before because the politicians got their hands out of the damn process. So there's all kinds of industries you see where once they deregulate them, capitalism took hold, it brought prices way down for the consumer and everybody was better off over the long run. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if we talk about or try to cover like, oh, we need the regulations, we need all this, because, you know, if not, these builders get out of control. How many times have we seen like these older homes are built tremendously better than these newer homes are being built with all of these regulations in place? Oh, yeah. I mean, prime (laughs) example, just go look at something built in the 50s here in San Antonio and then go look at something built in the freaking 70s in San Antonio and look at the amount of repairs that you got. Yes, you might have to modify the 50s house to make it more compatible to today's standards. Yeah. Just because like, but like you look at the structure itself, the foundations, the the type of framing, the wood, everything, like it's much better better the bones of the house are so much better you might have to update the electrical and things like that but you look at these houses built in the 70s and i mean you walk through it and it's like one of those uh crazy houses that just like you just feel the wave in the floor just dipping from one side to the other yep and it's like because oh yeah the politicians got into it and like we we're gonna make everything safer and it's like well we had to bring down costs in order to meet demand we had to cut corners everywhere else to make a, a house yeah. that we could sell for the demand that was there well uh, we have a Rob Johnson comments that he says he's seen uh, on TikTok videos. If it's on TikTok, it's true. Um, <laughs> but we've uh, he's seen on TikTok videos where the lumber is in warehouses and they're just not moving it out to the general public among other goods and materials. So I could see that where it's like, well, hey, we have the lumber. Maybe lumber prices have dropped for them picking it up and they're just holding on to it saying like, Let's keep the scarcity going. Well, it's one of those things too. It's like, and eventually that does pop. I mean, it's like the people, like they hoard things like, yeah. oh, prices are going up. I'm just going to hoard it. I'm just going to yep. keep it forever and wait till prices go up higher and higher and higher and then sell it off later eventually. But now prices are falling where I could see, and that's talking about like a massive drop in prices because now all this inventory people were holding and holding and holding and holding, trying to wait to sell, wait to sell, wait to sell. And then all of a sudden, boom, bubble pops and everything falls drastically. Cause everyone's like, Oh shit, I don't want to catch a falling knife. Sell, 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 sell. I mean, it happens yeah. in everything. So I mean, you saw it in the tulip mania back in this, whatever decade or century, century, <laughs> century that was, um, 
You saw it in Bitcoin back in 2000. You just saw it recently to where like you saw it in stock market. You yeah. see it in everything. It's not just those online things. It's a part of the real economy that people hoard things and trying to get a better price. And then oh. somebody starts that cascade and then yeah. everybody sells it and prices drastically fall like you saw here in the markets for futures of lumber. And that's something that if you are interested in understanding these things further, like you need to get yourself behavioral economic books behavioral investing, anything on behavioral, because I believe, I've been saying this for quite some time now, that I don't believe we're anymore in technical investing, technical stats, technical anything. I think the majority of what drives the market is behavior. Ever since the introduction of social media, right, into the mix, you're able to pretty much speculate on just having the masses do this. You know what I mean? You have so many people that are grouping together, and we saw this with when they um, when they shot up on GameStop, and they were hitting all the hedge fund companies. We've seen it, like you said, you know, on Bitcoin. Bitcoin has no damn reason in hell to have gone up as much as it did, except for the emotion of people saying, "Oh my God, this is oh, trendy. Don't even this talk is cool." Bitcoin. Talk Dogecoin. Dogecoin. But, yeah, yeah. It was like that. That is like you look at the comparatively. It's like, what are you doing with that? Yeah. And it's so, I mean, I think it's, it's exactly that near the behavioral economics for sure is like, that is what drive. That's what makes everything worth. Something is a behavior of people believing that it is worth something. Yeah. Or, I mean, why are tech stocks worth more than like these costs? The like Home Depot stocks. Why is the valuation of what a PayPal bigger than like the four largest banks? Yeah. And it's like, they're just a digital platform that processes payments. So it's like, it's because people believe that it, because it's a tech company, because they can expand, because it can do X, Y, Z, that it is worth more. So, yeah. Um, the people, if you are enjoying this content, please, we'd love it if you gave us a like. I see that we got uh, 23 people watching, only 10 likes. So uh, those of you that are watching, let's put a couple thumbs up in there for me, please. <laughs> I like um, the thumbs up. There you go. Uh, well, while you're at it, might as well uh, just let you guys know if you're interested if you live in the san antonio area we are doing a workshop uh in august so far we're thinking about the second to third weekend in august it's going to be a one-day workshop on managing rehabs so uh this is paid okay it is live uh it's gonna be probably i don't know we're, we're thinking three four hours maybe but we're gonna go over everything that has to do with rehabs with managing the renovations construction uh contractors everything so if you're interested in that and you're a rehabber or buy and hold investor handling rehabs you're not going to want to miss it text the word workshop to 210-794-9898 um, and as soon as information comes out uh, the signups everything there's going to be for our text community there's going to be some pretty good discounts um, so you're definitely going to want to make sure you jump on that as early as possible to get those discounts for the workshop with that being said, I wanted to actually move on. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just with that real quick. Uh, one of the comments uh, that we got here from Capitalist Pricing Model, the, the cure for higher prices is higher prices. The cure for lower prices is lower prices. Economics 101. I was like, <laughs> what brings prices down? Even higher prices till eventually everything just collapses and it brings prices way down. Yeah. Yeah. So, excellent point. Um, I read an article that it, over 100 California headquarters have moved 
to Texas since 2018. Boom, baby. Uh, oh, is this a raggling California segment? We, we, yes, Excited. yes. This is going to be the California segment. We haven't been picking on them for, I think, a few episodes, so let's get at it. Um, what's crazy, though, is in the the state that came in second place was Tennessee with 21. So California is a number one by 100. Number two is all Wait, the way down Texas to 21. A, Texas is 100. What did I say? California. Well, okay. So Texas okay. is number one with California companies moving to Texas at 101. Wow. And Tennessee is number two. There's that big of a difference? Yep. Like, it's insane. It, it shows where so, people are moving. Like yeah. over 80 more companies moved to Texas and the number two with so, Tennessee. Like that's crazy. They're talking about, so this guy is like, they're predicting the future of California business departures is a two-way issue. Oh. One school of, th- one school <laughs> That wasn't a comma or anything. One school of thought (laughs) is that the companies that are motivated to leave have gone by now. And the others are diehards. They're they're going to stay. So the other side of the coin is that, yes, companies will continue to consider leaving because there is no evidence there will be a single regulation. There will be a single regulation that will ease or eliminate the state of California which is run by business hostile or business ignorant legislators. (laughs) Most of them uh, have never had a business. They don't know what it takes. I expect that will get worse. There's uh, also will be new attempts at tax hikes in future years. So that uncertainty and that worry of, and we've seen it, we talked about it, how uh, California, even during the pandemic, are continuing to hit businesses even harder. So with taxes and, and stupid amount of things and regulations. So uh, in this interview, the guy was asked, uh, what, why do you think that so many California companies are choosing Texas as their state of choice for headquarter relocation? So there are basically three reasons. First one is taxes. The tax burden in California is ridiculous. It's hard on companies and hard on individuals. Uh, not only is there the fact that Texas is a no-income tax state, reducing the the taxes for individuals, but even in competition with other states, California taxes on middle-income earners is way out of proportion. The the person earning, let's say, fifty grand in California is paying way more in taxes than they would be in Pennsylvania or Virginia or most other states. Uh, The number two reason is the harshness of regulatory environment. California can be uh, in California. You can be sued if you're an employer for having an error on your paycheck stub. So if the employee got paid the right amount, got paid on time, everything's fine with the check. The check doesn't bounce, but there's an error on the stub. You can be sued by the individual employee. You can be subject to a class action suit, and you can be fined by the state. My God! <laughs> so and like and to that point, like California lawyers love to sue. Oh, yeah. uh, you have like uh, my girlfriend's father was uh, in the prison system out there, and they said you just had just. He's just kind of your typical lawyer that you see on TV. Everyone was like, oh, lawyers are all scumbags and stuff like that. You had those like bottom feeders that would just like 
get in there and just enrich themselves off the taxpayer dollars to somebody that's serving a life sentence in prison for all kinds of like wrongdoings. But it's like, Oh, they didn't get uh, some kind of thing on time. And some legis- like lawyer gets in there and sues the prison system, which is run by the state, which is then taxed by the people that are just like this. And so you have all those type of people just looking for, Oh, they didn't put that period right. Like I'm John Barr the third, but they forgot the third I. So it looks like I'm the set. Oh, I'm class action lawsuit. Yep. Like that's a different oh, John. Man. So, <laughs> uh, talk about hurting businesses. And then the third reason is this one has really risen in frequency. And that is the quality of life. People tell me that their employees tell them they want to get their kids out of Los Angeles unified school district. Uh, crime in California has been pretty bad for quite some time, but within the last year, it's gone to unimaginable proportions. Uh, District attorneys in San Francisco and LA are now letting people go if they, for example, shoplift. If what they shoplift is less than $950, there is no charges filed. There are all kinds of crimes being committed for which no one is going to jail. I mean, you you pretty much have given people the right to be criminals and and steal and cause hardship because 950. Okay, they're like, oh, that's a petty crime, whatever it is. But to a, a business owner that's constantly getting hit at 950 every time and they can't do anything about it. That'll tank your business. Well, that's what I said. Like, uh, what was it? Um, 23 Walgreens in yep. the San Francisco Bay yep. Area have just completely shut down. And they they specifically said it's because of the crime rates. Like, the cost to run that business and the amount of for security so the products don't get stolen. And then now for these things to where it's like if the security guard stops the person, that person can sue the security guard, which then sues Walmart. It's like, no. Like they're just like, we're just going to shut the stores and we're leaving the industry. Cause I mean, uh, that video went around on social media last week where a guy rode his bicycle into Walgreens, a black trash bag, filled it full of products and then just rode his bicycle out the front door. Yeah. Or like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. So what I found interesting is piggybacking on this article. Why I wanted to hit on this now is we actually have a YouTuber <laughs> running for mayor of California, which, uh, like I said before, you know, with all of the other uh, clowns that are running for mayor over there, uh, governor, I mean, or mayor, governor, right? Governor. Governor of California. Um, it just makes sense. Why not have a YouTuber? So, meet Kevin. is uh, He has a, a YouTube show that he does, and he's a real estate agent in California, and he's uh, he has a very successful YouTube channel. And he is going to be running for governor of California because he's fed up with uh, Newsom and all the policies that are happening. And he's starting a 10-day rally, July 2nd. And the rallies will be held over the course of two weekends. Um, it will be... He use these rallies as opportunities to present his 20-point plan and answer questions with town hall-style Q&As. Um, you can see his whole plan at his website, meetkevin.com. At the start of each rally, Meet Kevin and the campaign will distribute campaign raffle tickets for free, which will enter attendees into a giveaway for free cash prizes, $100 to $500, t-shirts, hats, and other campaign products. Um, there's also going to be clowns doing uh, puppets and... 
<laughs> face paintings. <laughs> Fucking clown. Uh, me, Kevin, will solve our state's homelessness crisis, educational system on affordable housing, and lack of transportation infrastructure by declaring four states of emergency on his first day in office. Me, Kevin, will end homeless. I, I find it funny that they keep calling him Me, Kevin. Um, will end homelessness living on the streets. Yeah, homeless. Oh, will end homeless living on the streets in 60 days, usually utilizing the National Guard. The National Guard will be charged with providing compassion as well as building 80 emergency facilities to house and care for our homeless population. Uh, Kevin wants to overhaul our educational system to teach students practical skills by creating future schools. A combination of high school, college, and vocational school, future schools teach the abilities that job market is looking for, business communication skills, and financial education so graduates can start their careers at 18 debt-free. Future schools will also provide those over 18 with $2,000 a month so they can attend school while getting paid. Housing costs are at all-time highs in California due to underdevelopment. So Kevin will make housing affordable by promoting the development and commercial conversion of 500,000 new units annually until supply can catch up with demand. Additionally, Traffic is bleeding our economy by billions of dollars each year. Optional toll roads along and along and tunnels under existing highways of cars, trucks, and buses would be alleviated, will help alleviate traffic and pay for themselves. California also has one of the highest costs of living anywhere in the United States, eliminating the state income tax on the first $250,000 of income will effectively give the average Californian a 3100 per year pay raise. So those are his, some of his plans. Pipe dream. Uh, um, well, so that's what I wanted to kind of discuss with you and see what your thoughts are. So one thing that I do like is to the point of the previous article, nobody that's in politics there has ever ran a business or anything like that, right? So it's like they can't relate. Kevin does. He, he has his own business, YouTube channel that he runs and everything. And he's made, uh, I think he makes like a couple million a year just off the YouTube I was, channel. I was looking it up right now. He's 29 years old and he has an estimated net worth of 32 million. In September of last year alone, he made 290 grand uh, estimated from his YouTube. But he also has lots of real estate as well because he has affiliate right. links and partnerships as well. As well. Yeah. So yeah. You, you, have, you have this. So I'm like, okay, well. You know, that's good. But here are the things that kind of jump out at me. And I, and I want to see like what you, even you guys listening, what are your thoughts on this? But these uh, four states of emergency, that to me sounds a little bit more, I want to choose the right word because I don't want us to get banned. But, you know, four states of emergency sounds a little dictatorship in a way, right? Like we're gonna declare states of emergency, bring in the National Guard to take care of these issues. Like, what does that sound like to you? I mean, does am I just interpreting it wrong? I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, we've seen that with prior administrations, the current administrations, that they rule by 
executive authority in states of emergency and stuff like because they are given extra powers. And the thing is, like, it's also I think one I think this is just a a I think it's a smart play by him because he's a celebrity on YouTube. So now he's in front of a national TV screen and everyone goes, "Who's Meet Kevin?" And they find his YouTube channel so he can grow his YouTube channel, grow his income that way. I don't think he's actually re- he's running for governor, but I don't think he's actually has a chance at it. It's more of a publicity stunt to gain more followers mm-hmm. because now it's like, oh, you don't have to go on YouTube and accidentally stumble across him. He's being put on front of TVs. He's been being put on podcasts. He's been put on all these different news channels because he does bring eyeballs to him. So he brings a followership. So they put him on TV so people can watch. And then he finds new followers to grow his base. That's so, my take. But, so you think that the biggest, the bigger play here for Kevin is not to actually become governor, but it's just for the publicity and everything. Oh yeah. You look at his states of emergency, the things that he's going to, it's the biggest things that people complain about in California of the homelessness crisis. You have the educational system. You already said our last article, people are wanting to get out from the LA school system. That's why they're leaving. Then you have the, um, the underdevelopment of, uh, housing there. So that's another crisis because housing price mm. is so high. And then the other one being that the cost of living. So we're going to bring the cost of living down. So it's like, yeah, that's what everybody runs on because that's your biggest issues in California. Right. So he says, we're going to fix all these in the first 60 days, hundred days. So it's going to get people in to see like, okay, how are you going to do that? What's your actual plan? And they're going to find him. And they're going to grow his viewership. I mean, it's a very smart play on his or his base, and I bet uh, his his YouTube ship growership is going to grow exponentially because of him running for governor. So it's kind of like when those people get on Shark Tank with no intention of doing a deal, but they get that kind of free publicity, exactly. two million eyeballs, and everybody. exactly. I think that's exactly what he's doing here because I mean he's twenty nine years old, and like you run into it's not a dictatorship. You get in it's to the governor, like you have the con the state Congress, which yeah. is all democratic all the way across who all has to agree on these things and pass these things to where like you can declare a state of emergency, but Congress can undo your state of emergency and remove your executive power. Right. And they yeah. have a super majority against you. So they're going to take this 29 year old multimillionaire against the Congress of California, which I'm betting the average age there isn't in their thirties. Well, and you have Pelosi and sixties. You have Pelosi that sits on the, on pretty much controls the whole government right now. Yeah. And she's in California. She's probably going to be like, "Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. It's like like you're, you would be put in there and then the powers of the governor would be stripped. I mean, you saw Schwarzenegger try to do this in uh, the two thousands. Yeah. And it's like he tried to take on like the, the the one of the school districts to get some things changed, and he wound up losing it um, because yep. of, like they are very powerful. Or like these state of emergencies to fix all these things, you're going to overhaul the entire school system. Like people have been trying to do that for years. Yeah, and it's like I mean, and they're not. One of my biggest issues again with uh, even though I agree that I, I do like the fact that he is a business owner and everything like that. My biggest issue is his age, to be honest. Um, I've listened to his videos and stuff like that, and I've seen him on a few interviews. He's arrogant as all hell. You understand? Like This is a kid that he has not been smacked in the mouth once in his life. You know, he doesn't know what it is to like struggle to have, you know, any kind of life lessons. And one thing I notice is that people nowadays are not like 30-year-olds you know, 20 years ago, 30 year olds nowadays, a lot of them are dumb as fuck. Like, I mean, they're, they're beyond stupid as far as like, just 
common sense, common knowledge and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, he made money because he's an influencer, right? Well, he's, it's also, he's a YouTuber. So it's like, okay, you made money, but do you have the humility, the tactic, the strategy oh, to, to get, be a politician? Yeah, to be beat up by politicians. Like that's a very nasty, mean business. And that's the thing, like his income would drastically drop. Because yeah. he may, he makes it from YouTube. Where like he's not going to be sitting in the Oval Office doing the opening bell of stock market like he does now every day from the governor's office. It's like that's not going to happen. His income would just drastically fall through the floor. That's why I said yeah. it's a publicity stunt to get in front of more people. Or like, and it's also like his money. Like I remember reading, like figuring it out just by reading, seeing through the lines. Like he he's a hustler by no means. I'm not downgrading that he was given a silver spoon or anything. Like he worked yeah. his ass off, but. His real estate success was because of his wife's family were real estate developers prior. That's where a lot oh, of his real know. estate success came from is like they, he made, was making money in YouTube, put it into real estate and his wife's family renovated the construct, renovated the properties and managed properties. So he had a lot of opportunity from real estate because you can make a ton of money in real estate in California, especially with when you have the money like he had. So that exponentially grew his net worth in that aspect. That's kind of how I read between the lines um, of it. But that's yeah. right. Like, I think it's just. Well, because- I, I mean, to, to what you said before, I actually do think that he would do more, continue his YouTube show um, as governor of saying like, hey, I, I'm going to show you the inner workings of our political system. And, you know, and look at this thing and look at that. I mean, it would I be think interesting. It's, it's his nature to do so and, and to kind of be more attractive to the uh, people voting, it's like I'm gonna be completely transparent by showing yeah. you. Well, I think that would be a very interesting right? aspect of it, to where like your average congressman in the United uh, for the U.S. government is like sixty some years old. Yeah, or like the the youth, oh, the, the youth are like drastically underrepresented in Washington, and we're like somebody young being able to win, like and then expose like. We're gonna hold these these SOBs accountable, yeah. and like now you got these a young cat in there that's got a viewership of a lot of young people across the entire nation that's gonna come in here and say, uh, "This is how our generation wants to run." So and the old generation is different. We're gonna do things differently. Now. What I think it's smart that he's doing is that he's running as a Democrat because if he ran as let's say a Republican or an Independent, he would not get any TV time, any attention. Like he would be just completely disregarded as a Democrat. He's getting views. He's get he's gonna get more reach. He's gonna get more. You know, I don't know if they're gonna be doing debates. I don't see why Newsom would allow any debates. Um, but I think him choosing to be a Democrat is a great play on, on that regard. Whether he is one or isn't, where I think that's gonna play against them is that uh, some of the policies and stuff you kind of go against a lot of the big Democratic plans that they have and they've put out in California that has been voted on time and time again by by keeping somebody like Newsom as governor for I don't even know how long now. You understand? So it's like, I, I think it's like, yeah, you made a good play because you're going to be able to make some noise now. Are you going to be able to make enough noise to matter? I don't, I don't see that happening. Are you going to make enough noise to boost up your brand and give yourself, you know, instead, Ian had put in here that he made $6.2 million last year. So, yeah, I'm sure now you're going to make enough noise that probably your next year's uh, YouTube income probably doubles, right? Because more people know of you and all these things. And I think there are going to be more people that relate to his policies and say, wow, that's that's great, right? Um, all that being said, it's like, 
yeah, I, I think this is an attention grab. I don't think he is serious at all of actually trying to win or any of this. Um, maybe he is. Who knows? All I know is California is very entertaining and make fun of. <laughs> and I think this just keeps adding to it. And yeah. it's going to be very fun to see what the next uh, what this next election for governor looks like, uh, especially isn't Newsom supposed to be voted out? No, he's not voted out. Or, it, like It's a recall. Or, That's why he's running against him. It's like they're they're forcing a recall uh, to where he has to be voted in again and to see like do the people of California want him and it opens up to everybody. That's why like he's one of like a hundred some plus people running for governor and like that's why like I highlight my bet is like Newsom wins by a landslide because like nobody knows anybody yeah. and if you look at the ballot it's like my God there's like three pages of people on here like. Most people are like, oh, I don't know. We'll just stick with the status quo than any of these other people. But I, I don't know if they have. So there, there is no way that Newsom can get pretty much beat out. I mean, he could be for sure. Like, it's some, I mean, Schwarzenegger won, um, but he was also tied into politics back then because he was married to one of the Kennedys. And yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a superstar of like, is at the height of his career pretty much. Oh, in those huge 2000s. actor. Yeah. Yeah. He had the whole Hollywood, everybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, like to Molly's point in here, but once he got voted in, pretty much everybody fought him every step of the way because he was an outsider and he tried to change things for the and better. He tried and, to be a Republican. Yeah. No, he ran it. Yeah. He ran it as a Republican. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just. I don't know where it's going to go, but well, I mean, he can be voted out and it's very curious to see if they have one like the, re the um, uh, what do they call it here? Where you have the runoffs to where if the one person doesn't win over 50%, mm -hmm. then the top people compete against each other and they do another election again. So that's uh, happened here several times with the mayoral elections where it's like, Hey, we're doing a runoff. It's number one versus number two, essentially that go and now you have to force to pick one or the other right. or I don't know if that's the case that now if that is the case now there could be a chance that Newsom does get recalled because on the second election run around because then there's only two people to choose from but it's not like you have the primaries where it's only one candidate gets voted all the way through the process and then you have one or two three people competing based on parties affiliate yeah or now it's no you have a hundred people running against uh Newsom to where like if that'd be the way I could see him getting voted out it's like they have the 50 percent rule the fifty percent rule. But I have no idea if California runs that way or not. If they weren't, then I'd yeah. be like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. But we'll see. So what do you have on for the docket after this? I mean, I got a little bit of business news. That's good. Cool. Uh, this will actually help you uh, make you happy. The judge dismisses the FTC and state antitrust complaints against Facebook. Okay. So um, the, they were they forty eight states did sue uh Facebook based on antitrust violations for monopoly tendencies uh and that got thrown out a federal court on monday dismissed the federal trade commission's antitrust complaint against facebook as well as a parallel case brought by 48 state attorney generals dealing a major setback to the agency's complaint which could have resulted in facebook divesting instagram and whatsapp the court ruled monday that the ftc failed to prove its main contention and the cornerstone of the case that facebook holds monopoly power in the us personal social media the us personal social media network market although this is a quote from them although the court does not agree with all of facebook contentions here it ultimately concerns that the agency's complaint is legally insufficient and must therefore be dismissed reads the filing from the us district court of the district of columbia the ruling is not necessarily the end of the case. The court acknowledges that the FTC, FTC, 
FTC may be able to cure the weaknesses in its argument, so it left it open for the possibility that it could file an amendment to the complaint and continue the litigation. Well, they kind of said in the article they made it sound like the FTC thought the court would just rule in their favor because they're the federal government and they're the FTC and they had all these states going against it, yeah. that they're just like, oh, antitrust laws. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't really prove anything, though. You just... You thought you, we were just going to blindly side yeah. with you. Like you need to get more proof in there. And that's one thing they said, like, we don't agree with Facebook. We just disagree with you or like this. So therefore it's well, got to be thrown and, out. It's and like, that's, what's good with the justice system in this regard is that, Hey, you actually have to prove a case. You can't just throw a claim and that's all you need. Cause if not, if that was the case, then shit, there's a lot of businesses that are kind of screwed, but I mean, I'm in the same boat. To me, it's like, I, I'm not like in favor or against Facebook. My th my thing is that kind of blatant control of just like, we don't like you, so here's a lawsuit and we're going to shut you down, break you up. It's like, okay, how about there's some actual proof or, yeah. or some actual reasoning behind this as to why that needs to happen? Because if we talk about monopolies, I mean, the the board of realtors, how's that not a freaking monopoly? You know what I mean? Like you, you want to get a... You want to get a license you know, or sell a house in any other city or whatever, you got to be a part of that city's MLS system and pay those dues because and it's do not this a thing. profit business. Right. I'm sure, <laughs> definitely sure it's not a for profit business. Um, but you look at all that, it's like, how the hell is that not a, a, a monopoly? How the hell is like, uh, let's look at Amazon, right? There was an article that I wanted to get to that I just didn't have the uh, will to read. But Amazon, you have how when they bought Whole Foods, you know, a few years back, what was the plan at the point? And right now, Amazon is controlling like every aspect of everybody's lives. They've built these uh, distribution centers. They have the planes. They have the trucks. They have the vehicles. They have the delivery systems. They have everything. N then they bought a grocery chain that's like now they own groceries as well, where it's like now you buy groceries, you buy your goods, you buy everything, you watch TV, you listen to music. You have everything under Amazon. Amazon controls literally all aspects of your life. Yeah, I mean, it's point. like try to go a day without touching something managed by Amazon. Exactly. Like, so how's like, that not a monopoly, right? Like that. Oh, I that agree. being said, yeah. I'm not against Amazon either. I, I'm. I'm just saying, like, you know, you look at things like this, and you're saying Facebook, and I look at Facebook, but then I look at something like TikTok. I look at something like, you know, like youtube like linkedin twitter like i don't know i don't see facebook as being the you know the only one out there they're, that's they're what the all... argument said like they said that they didn't prove actual financials to it and they didn't put stuff to it but they said they left it open it's saying hey like by no means are we defending facebook we just said your argument doesn't hold legal valor so Weak. we are just we're dismissing it but you can go change it and amend it because like facebook was trying to say well the ftc approved us to buy whatsapp and instagram in 2012 and 2016 right. but they're saying like yeah but there's nothing that says you they can't reverse their course based on something that happened it's like that was five years ago they're like Technology, the world, everything changes pretty quickly in a five years, especially in a five years time. We're like, yeah, you can go back and amend your decision and yeah. go back and try to go against it. But I agree too. Like, I think Amazon's by far more of a monopoly power than like, like especially an impact as far as the world goes uh, than Facebook. Yeah. I mean, you can turn Facebook oh. off, but like, you really can't can't get away from Amazon. I still, I still rather them go after uh, the border realtors. To me. I've been saying this for a long time. I'm, I think 
the majority of realtors are useless. Um, that being said, he, them controlling all of the data, how you can perform, how you can do everything. They're the ones bringing all the, pretty much all the regulations and everything against wholesalers and investors because it's taken from their pound of flesh that they want to get. And it's like, it's one organization controlling the whole real well, estate market. it's not one organization. Okay. Like, it's not the board of realtors. You have <clears throat> NAR? hundreds of boards of realtors. Like, you don't just have one board of realtors. It's not NAR? Huh? NAR? National Association no, that's of Realtors? No, that's just an association. Okay. That's so not the board of realtors. They don't control that? No. Like, that's two separate. Like, you have the National Association, you have Texas Association of Realtors, you have National Association of Realtors, you have the SABOR, you have ABOR. They're completely you have, different. Yeah, those are all different. Like, they're, like, that's what it's like. It's a very diverse. Like, so, like, the, so, the board of realtors is not, like, you having to be a realtor is not based on the board of realtors. That's just, it depends on every you, state. And city, like that's so like I can. A list. city c- could get rid of realtors if they wanted. Like you don't need a license. The board of realtors. Mm. Yeah, they, well, I mean, you could abolish the board of realtors, but then that of go, that city of that city, like a state board could just be like, we're just going to cease to exist. But then there goes the MLS system too. So it wouldn't. Who's the MLS system controlled by? By Sabor. Yeah, by Sabor individually. It's not controlled right. by that board of real, like national boards of realtors. And there's, or there's, it's not, there's associations of realtors, not boards. There's not a national board of realtors, a Texas board of realtors. They're, those are just associations. So that, the national board of realtors, that, or NAR, has national no, association the realtors. national association has nothing to do with all the other boards of realtors in other states. No, everywhere. that's just a voice. That's just an association. Just like you have the, um, the gun right, uh, National Rifles Association. AARP? No. <laughs> no, the um, the Rifles Association and stuff like that. Like, oh. They represent the interest of firearm owners as a collective, as a big voice to influence policy. Okay. To make sure they don't, they're, they're protection for that industry. Yes, they are the ones coming against those people because they are taking the pound of flesh from their members. So yeah. they're there to protect the, their members and the consumers. But I said, there are a lot of people because there's even worse wholesalers out there than there are realtors in my mind. Oh, so I think they sure, cause sure. way more damage than what a realtor can yeah. uh, somebody's life. Or like they are doing it and to protect the end consumer and their association members. Okay. So where like you, cause like, cause technically I could list a house in Austin on the San Antonio board of realtors. You're just not going to get anybody to see your house because right. that's not where the people are looking. Because like even in Seguin, I can list a house because that's when we go to Seguin. I like what major MLS systems out there. You have like three of them or between here and Austin. You have three different ones that you can list on. Or if you go up to like San Marcos or New Braunfels, like you're going to get houses listed in Austin and uh, Sabor. And then you have like three rivers or something out there, too. Like there is competitiveness against them. It's just like, hey, if you want to access our MLS system and our buyers and stuff like that, you do need to pay our board fees. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I think uh, there is a a, a competitive. It's like, I do agree. I still think the board of realtors are like they don't provide a lot of service and they're more of a burdensome. Do I think you could do a much better job of getting things listed? Yeah, I'm, I'm by no means defending the board of realtors because I do think they have kind of a little monopoly to like, oh, if you want to sell a house, you got to list on our thing. But their defense is like, yeah, but you can list on other places too. And I think it's more of a, I think it's a good barrier of entry to keep just from everybody wanting to be a realtor like they already are, uh, essentially. Where I, I'm not a fan of the boards, but I do understand like kind of their purpose a little bit. Yeah. But I think they're very old and very antiquated systems are just like, 
yeah, but you kind of are a drag in a waste. I think you'd really need to be reformed from what, I mean, you walk into the building at Sabor and it's like, <laughs> this is who I pay money to, to do something. You give me absolutely no support. Yeah. Like, uh, like the National Association but of you Realtors. you can't do anything without Texas them. Association of Realtors. Like, I agree, because like, they do have the voice, but like these boards, it's like, God, you go on like Austin's MLS and it's like so much more up to date. So I get on Sabor, yeah. it's like, what is this, like 2003? Like, yeah. good Lord. And then they came out with their update a few years ago and it was like, this is even worse. Like, it's oh, annoying as hell. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I don't even bother using it. So. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, John is a, a supporter of the Board of Realtors. Uh, this uh, complete uh, sad National Rifle Association. That's what I was going for. Yeah. It's just you're, right. you're a complete disgrace to investors. Um, that being said, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Coffee with the Johns. Remember to hit that thumbs up and subscribe if you haven't. And like I said, next week, uh, midweek, we'll be releasing the interview with Dan Francis, owner of Stepstone Realty, one of the biggest brokerages for investors in San in Texas. Um, that's a great interview. You guys are really going to enjoy that. And we have the workshop coming up in August. So make sure you text the word workshop 210-794-9898. And with that being said, we will be back next Friday. Schedule. Ah, uh, fuck. What's that said? Why do you say content? Regular schedule programming at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. Coffee with the Johns with the latest news, trends, and headlines that impact you and your business. So with that being said, guys, thank you all for Have watching. Have a safe 4th of July. Enjoy yes. it. And we'll catch you all next week. Bye-bye.